group of us came back from a trip to Israel this week, and um, I think some have really recovered very quickly, and, and some of us keep getting up at 2.30 in the morning, and so... Right now is my evening sacrifice, if you, if you need to know. Um, in that particular place, there was a time in history where the walls of Jericho, I'm sorry, the walls of Israel were, walls of Israel were encompassed, and the king at the time was um, concerned about water, and um, water was the life of every society, especially those within the city wall of Jerusalem. So they, there was a spring outside of the walls and they dug a tunnel going lower down into the earth that would feed the inner city. And because it came in the days of Hezekiah, they called it Hezekiah's Tunnel and um, provided life no matter what would happen, they would always have water. But today, people are able to go through that tunnel. There are no lights. You bring your own flashlight, and there's water running through the tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel. So I'm preaching today something that the Lord's been working on me for a long, long time. It's been, I cannot tell you how many years this is in the making. It's there are sermons that come from life, not from moments. I'm not suddenly inspired today. Um, um, it's a lifetime of crafting, molding. Now, I'm not the first one to come this way. Uh, Malcolm Williams sang about it. Charles Goodman taught it. Noel Jones presented it. David the king harmonized with it. The matriarchs often experienced it. The sons, Joseph, lived it. Peter stumbled before it. Paul walked in it and Jesus did it. And upon hearing one of our fellow ministers walk through the tunnel this last week though it was a bit cold and the water was a little higher than usual and the, that tunnel was dark and cramped they, they ended up coming out at the pool of Siloam where Jesus healed the blind man where a miracle took place and in the moment of joy where that miracle took place after being through that watery passageway I heard one of the ministers say what I'm now preaching. <clears throat> I had to go through it. <laughs> to get to the pool, I had to go through it. To get to the miracle. Now I read 1 Samuel 1 and verse 4. Just two verses in your hearing. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, portions. 
But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. I had to go through it. Amen. And all the people said amen. I'm preaching the anointed word, and I know that I'm anointed today, but I need your anointing. He's anointed me, but I need the anointing of the people today. So would you just pray a blessing of anointing on the whole congregation, me, you, and everybody around you. Anoint us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And for all those... who are looking in, in Jesus' name, amen. And when you get seated, put your Bibles on your laps and then clap unto the Lord, a love offering of praise. Out of your mouth, tell him, you are a good God. Say it, you are a good God. You're a righteous Savior. Now, if by chance you have entered this place and there's a few things here that are not familiar to you, you'll have to lean on this um, declaration that the Holy Spirit is speaking today. So just, if if you can, accept this and receive it. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking today. And if you can hear that, then that will be a guiding sound. The Spirit will lead you if you will let him. But he won't force you to follow him. The Holy Spirit will lead you, but he's not going to force you. Amen. Jesus said, my sheep hear and know my voice. Jesus said, and I love this line. He said, I know them and am known of mine. He will lead us. It comes with a call to the heart and it brings understanding. And understanding brings peace. And peace produces assurance that everything is going to be all right. It shall be. And what shall be, let me say that again, it shall be, and what shall be, it will be all right. Mm. Oh, yes. There is a depth in our text. It is a time in history where permissible parties would consent. And such is the case where a man would have more than one wife, I Make no such recommendation. You can't afford that. And I'm not even talking monetarily. Elkanah is the lead figure, though his resolve is often cloaked in the storyline of Hannah and Eli and Samuel. Because year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice before the Lord in Shiloh. 
And herein lies the determination of a faithful father and husband who worships in Shiloh, which at the time is being led by Eli and his unfaithful and corrupt sons. There's a lot of reasons for him not to be there. But Elkanah goes back time and again. He will not miss the moment of sacrifice for he has come for the Lord and not for them. Year after year, Shiloh, the tabernacle of the ark of God, he has come for that. And it is more than enough to draw Eli, Elkanah, back again, even though Eli is not leading correctly. Time and again, because the ark of the covenant is there and because he has come to make his sacrifice, he will bypass the corrupt leadership. Let me just say, many have quit the church and turned around from the gospel. They've given up. They traded truth for a lie. They've traded sound doctrine for false doctrine because someone offended them. Not just here, but all over the place. And for many years, in many places, they did not come for the Lord. They they did not come to offer God something. They came with conditions and contingencies. And the moment their expectations were shattered, they made a horrible trade. Some traded the revelation of the mighty God in Christ for a three-headed God. That was born out of Catholicism and it's not in the Bible. Some traded holiness. The Bible says, without which no man shall see the Lord. They traded that for the carnality of the flesh. That's offered in many places. It just means a life without boundaries. It's rooted in the false commentary that God doesn't look on the outward, which is not in the Bible. (laughs) Or that you can just come as you are with no change in your life. They misquote and misplace the scripture that God only looks on the heart, but man looks on the outside, which is, which is taken out of context. It has nothing to do with modesty. It has to do with speaking about the position of a coming king and a shepherd's attire. Oh my. Are you still with me? Why don't we rewind the tape? Nobody even really knows today what the tape means. But I remember buying a cassette player in my car and installing it. It had an automatic tape rewinder. In fact... The two sides of the cassette tape were not equal. The second side often had a lot left over. And when you got to the the second side, you had to fast forward. But when you got the new tape recorder in your car, tape player, cassette player, it'd do that automatically. There was a time we didn't have cell phones. The olden days. There was a time we had a rotary dial phone. And God forbid that any of the numbers you were calling had a nine or a zero. It's fossilized. I didn't come to church because everybody likes me. Or because I am liked. Because it's not always true. And I did not bring my sacrifice of praise because everyone around me would approve of me. Because they did not. And I did not come to be accepted by the conglomerate of people, of those many of which do not know me. But I came today for him. 
year after year, month after month, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, just because he saved me and he's worthy and I need him and he deserves my praise. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I really didn't come for you. I came to offer my praise to God. Not so you could see me or accept me or like me. I don't know what you came here for. But if you're walking through this house, you ought to come with your hands lifted up and say, I've come for you, Lord. Even if if nobody else likes, I've come for you year after year and week after week. But as it was in those days, if the high priest and his two sons are wicked, if they're vile, if they, if they appear like Hophni and Phinehas, if you all feel alone in a big crowd or you feel that no one can relate to what's happening in your life, just know the Sunday that you keep is keeping you. The moment of worship that you're keeping, that's keeping you. You thought you were keeping Sunday service. It was really keeping you. You thought you were going to keep your Bible reading. Your Bible reading was keeping you. You thought you would keep your praise, but your praise is actually keeping you. I came to praise him. I've come to present myself a living sacrifice before the Lord. I don't know what you came to do, but I know what I came to do. Yes. And that city of Shiloh is unaware of its own fate. Even in the days of Elkanah, when corruption has found its stride, and Eli is turning a blind eye to the dealings of his son's debauchery, Elkanah keeps on coming. His family will also attend those gatherings, two wives and all the children of the first wife. It appears in the scripture that Elkanah is a giving man. He wants nothing more than a settled home. But the glaring problem is that Hannah is barren and Penina is full. Maybe Hannah would have acted or lived differently had she birthed many sons and daughters. Maybe we would have never known her had she been immediately blessed with a house full or a household of children. She had the love and the favor of her husband. She did not have a son, and there is no substitute for sons. It wasn't just the craving born from competition with Penina, but in those days, a son-bearing wife was the prize. Sons made the man. But Hannah had no children, and there were no sons. And the emptiness caused her to yearn. There's a lost word today, yearn. It means to ache. It's to crave. It's a longing, a deep desire. The absence of a baby pressed her into prayer. It moved her into a mournful position. There was a lacking and an angst in her spirit. Here's the Bible. Verse 6, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. She provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Hannah prayed. She cried. She did not eat. The pain of emptiness caused a hunger that food could not fill. And not only was there a desire, but Penina 
became her adversary. Fret or fear, the poking of the possibility that a child would never be born, that is what the adversary does. Our adversary points out our inefficiencies and then magnifies them. He exposes our inabilities, things we cannot change, and then he tells us there is no remedy for them. The adversary of Hannah did just that. She provoked her and Hannah wept. Now there's no mention of a prayerful Penina. And why is that? Because when you are filled, hear me, when you are filled with all things, prayer is not fervent. There is no reason to yearn or depress or to strive. It is in the absence or the struggle that you develop a prayer life. When you have deep needs and deep then calls unto deep. Now baby Samuel, of course, we have the benefit of the scripture. We know that he's on the way, but Hannah had to go through the absence before she could come to the blessing. She had to go through a dark tunnel before she came to the pool of a miracle. And Samuel would one day be given back to the temple for service unto the Lord at a very young age. And from the temple, Samuel would hear the voice of God calling to him. And from that night when Samuel replied to the Lord, here am I, Lord, your servant is listening. From that moment, Samuel would grow to lead a nation for many years to come. Because God needed a man who could lead by sensitivity. Sensitivity to his voice, even when there was no physical ark of the covenant among them. That's why Samuel would become the most unique, multi-dimensional spiritual leader in Israel's history. He was the high priest, a prophet, a judge, and a kingmaker. But he came by way of a desperate mother who was empty. Hannah said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Only the desperate make deals like that. Only the hungry ask for a blessing just to return it to the Lord's work. Penina had sons and daughters. Hannah only had hunger. But out of the absence of hunger, out of the absence of that, when there's everyone's full, there, there, of course, there, there's no prayer. But when you are empty and you are in need Then you produce Samuel. And sons like Samuel do not come from painless paths. Samuel's come from groaning, loneliness, provoking sounds of the adversary. She had to go through it. Because no one has ever come to the bounty of power and revelation without fighting a personal, customized adversary. I had to go through it from my youth even until this day. Customized adversaries which strike at my Achilles heel. That's the vulnerable place in me. It's the tender place in my heart. He knows where to get me. He uses people to get me in that tender place. But for me to get where God wants me to be, I had to go through it. I couldn't make it to where I needed to be until I went through it. No one moves in the flow of the Holy Spirit until they experience valleys and deserts and dark nights. You have to follow him to feel after him. And he will lead you into and out of places you would rather not have gone. But if you want the blessing and the understanding and the power and the provision, if you want it, you're going to have to go through it. 
Look in your Bible and count all of them. They line up like mighty pillars. Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Jehoshaphat, Moses and Joshua, the prophets by the dozens, the disciples of Jesus, Paul the apostle. Joseph dreamed dreams, the Bible says, wearing the coat of many colors. All of his dreams were sent by God in prophetic form, but he is immature. He's overconfident. He lacks discretion. He talks too much. He boasts of what he sees. There is no subtlety in him. No judiciousness to provide boundaries against his self-proclamations. He's young and tactless. But those dreams are real and in time they will come to fulfillment. He will rise to prominence. Prominence. His brothers will one day bow before him. Nations will lean on his instruction. Yet in between the dream and the fulfillment, Joseph enters the school of suffering. Because there is no authority until you graduate with humility. And there it is. It's an education with a diploma of the knowledge of the divine intention of God. You meant it for evil, he said, but God meant it for good. He didn't get that way the first day. He didn't have that understanding the day he had the dream. No one will say those words until you go through it. You will not understand the intention of your Lord without the school of suffering. I am so far out of this cultural world. I am preaching and speaking. So I, it's like a foreign language to the American audience. The American Christian church doesn't know anything about what I'm saying because you've been inundated with prayers of Jabez to expand your territory. There's prosperity preachers everywhere. There's people telling you that your life is going to be great and you can have all the money and health. And if you're not healthy, it's because something's wrong with you. That doesn't mean, are you telling me that when you go through a trial of your life that God's angry with you? No. He put you through that just so you could get to the other side. Because you're never going to get the, you're never going to get the miracle until you go through it. You're never going to get the understanding until you go through it. You're never going to have the depth of the water in the well until you go through it. Listen, I'm preaching to a generation that wants the sweet water, but they don't want to dig it out. They, they want holes in their jeans, but they don't want to bend down to work. They want the gold watch before they ever sign the contract. But I want to tell you about the Lord today. He's going to get you somewhere and bring you somewhere, but you're going to have to go through it. And I say today, don't despise the trouble and don't despise the suffering because there's a miracle. There's a pool of miracles on the other side. Yes. Joseph spent no less than 22 years of separation and abandonment and distance, but he had to go through it. He is in and out of jail cells and accusations and chains, and then he's brought to comfort, then back to the prison cell. The process, say the process, say the process, it tempered him. It brought him from a youthful declaration of self to a bold confidence And wisdom was his reward. He had to go through that. He was not ready to do what he dreamed of doing until he went through some hard times. 
Let me just help you with this. Because I'm not trying to hurt you. But do not think when God calls you and anoints you and gives you a dream or a vision that you need to share it. Keep it. Twice in the scripture, the Lord spoke to Mary and the Bible says she pondered it in her heart and she kept it. Because the world wasn't ready to know what she knew. And in fact, it appears she never even told anybody. Jesus was his own declaration. She didn't have to tell everybody, listen, this baby came from God and he's the Messiah. He can do it all by himself. She pondered in her heart. I'm not trying to hurt you, but you're not ready. You're not ready. God gave you a vision. Don't even talk about it. God will open it up. He gave you a dream. Don't tell all the people about it. First of all, people won't always believe you. And if it is true, some will be jealous of you. Your daddy gave you a beautiful coat. Not everybody's happy about it. You have power and gifts and anointing. And the Lord's going to bring those out. But when you're in the middle of trouble and pain and sorrow and you're going through issues and trials of your, and you don't think that God, God's still with you, he didn't, re, he didn't take back those things. He just tempered you in the process. We don't like the process. You got to go through some dark valleys and be battered by life. Then you're, then you're ready. God gives thoughts and dreams and visions and gifts to people of all ages, but you'll never know how to handle them until you go through it. I wanted it to be a different way, but like baptism, there is only one way. There's only one baptism and there's only one way to get the power and the authority. And now I look back and I see I had to experience all of that to get today. I could not get here. I wasn't ready to get here 24 years ago or 35 years ago or when I was 14 years old and God called me into the ministry. Mm-hmm. Lottery winners are very few, ladies and gentlemen. Very few people who win the lottery. So you don't have to do a whole lot of research to figure out what happened to the lottery winners because they're just a handful. Everybody loses but one. Everybody else is making one person a winner and the rest of them are whiners. And some of you are sitting right here today whining. You don't have to raise your hand. The Lord knows who you are. And we would know if you were the winner, but you're not. And some of you said, if I win, I'll give half of it to the Lord. But you didn't give $10 of the 100 bucks that you got last week. So he's not going to trust you with $100 million. What did you come out to see? I'm going to preach the word and be the pastor of the church. I didn't come out here to make you. I came out to preach the truth. I feel a little moving the spirit. Will a man rob God? I wonder how many thieves have walked into this building. You're going to clap your hands and worship God, but you're not going to honor God with your first fruit. That's in your Bible. So when you pick up your Bible to read Psalm 23, just remember the same author 
who, who authored all the Bible also said, bring me your first fruit and honor me with your first fruit. I'll move on. Not right away, but I'll move on someday. I want it to be di- different, but the, you know, the lottery winners, they come. But in, in a little research, we found out that almost all of them lose everything in a short period of time. Same thing with some professional athletes. Four years after playing, many of them are bankrupt. How is it? You're 19, you're 22. You have a huge payout, a big contract, upfront money, guaranteed money. But by the time they're 30, many of them are bankrupt. I'll tell you why. Because they did not develop the value of what it meant. They didn't understand limitations. They had no constraint. They were led by ego and instant gratification. See, if you're faithful in a few, God will make you ruler over many. But we despise the few. We think, we think the few is, is a little gift. The few might be a few trouble. A few troubling days. A few dark nights. But if you're faithful in the few dark nights, he'll make you the master and the Lord over many great days and wonderful days. Go read in your Bible. David was anointed king of Israel, but, but on the same day that he was anointed, he went back to the field to tend sheep all by himself. He is the anointed king, but he's not walking in the palace yet. He's walking in the field with crevices and thorns and briars and thickets. And there's wild beasts there. And there's, there's things biting at him that his brothers are going to scoff. But that was the training ground for the throne. And his older brother is not going to recognize him. His father dismisses him as a possibility. Jesse never presented David. It was Samuel who said... The prophet said, we will not sit down until he come. Because perchance if David was the one, it would be dishonorable for them to be sitting when the king arrived. We're just going to stand here. I don't care how long it takes for that boy to get from the field to this house. But we're going to stand here because if he's the king, I'm not sitting down. He's not going to see me sitting down. I'm going to be standing and welcoming. And sure enough, God said, that's the one. And David spent the better portion of his early years serving a wicked king, King Saul, who in turn despised David's clear anointing. Saul, that king, he knew better than anyone what a real king looked like, and it drove him into madness. And Saul launched his spear at David to kill him. But David simply dodged the spear and kept on serving. Can you do that? I don't know if you're going to get this or not. But his anointing kept him serving when his conditions put him in danger. He was going to be the king, but the path to the kingdom has always come through trial. David had to go through it. David spent his time in caves, the lowlands, hideouts, the desert place. And while many people bemoaned their own circumstances, I will tell you, David had to walk on dirt and sand before he ever walked on marble and gold. We don't like it, and with good reason. We often wonder where God is when we're caught in the grip of suffering, but that is the process. You have to go through that. As a man tried in a furnace of earth, tried seven times, he shall come forth as gold, pure gold, because it's the fire that burns away impurities. It's your trouble that's making you refined. 
the unwelcomed heat that transforms us from self-reliance into the recognition of God. I'll even offer this. Our prayer life is never deeper or greater than when we are tried by fire. I've never seen people with a great prayer life that had life easy. No one ever weeps like they do when the adversary is pointing out our obvious flaws. And the adversary is all around you. Your adversary is going to tell you you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you shouldn't even be there. And then he'll point out what you did wrong. He'll point out all the issues in your life. And you know that's true. But what he points those out, the reason why he points that out is so that you would quit and give up. And then you, then you get into situations where you, you can't believe that you're going through it. But hear what Peter wrote. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think it's out of the ordinary. It's, it's appropriate. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, you will be glad with succeeding joy. And if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy, be happy for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. On their part is evils, but on your part he's glorified. So when you go through a fiery trial and you're going through struggle, pick up your head and stop crying and feeling sorry for yourself and say, I don't know why, I can't imagine why, and I don't know where he is, but I do know that he is a good God and I'm going to get on the other side. I hope you can feel what I'm preaching today because it could very well be that your salvation is not going to be sealed until the furnace of fire enters your life. You will not make it without being refined. You will not be saved in the rapture unless you pass through the valley. Take out the valley and you take out the mountain. Remove the relief that comes from the rescue and you'll remove the heart of thanksgiving because nobody is thankful if they've never been through a trouble or a trial. Only those who've been rescued offer great thanks. Only those who've gone through trouble and you've given your best time to God and you've given your best years to God and something happened and you don't know why, but you stand here today and say, I thank you, Lord. That's the heart of thanksgiving. You had to go through it. You will go through it. But we moan about our trouble. We complain about our conflict. All the while the Lord has sent you a trial to buffet your spirit so that you would not be lost. And so when I got the word from the grandfather on the phone who could barely speak, and then I got the text just a couple of days ago that baby Finley had some brain bleed we got to rush her to have a brain surgery. I just put out the call for church prayer. And people start praying. And I entered the hospital and there's some distraught parents not knowing what to do. And there's a mama that's no comfort for her. There's not a prayer or a hug that can get her through that. There's not a good word. No one has the good words. You just say it and everybody's fine. Nobody's fine. But I'll tell you what we had. We had prayer. And they gave me the baby and I held her in my arms. And I began to plead the blood. Those prayers don't happen until you have trouble. 
You had to go through it. You have no praise until you go through it. You have no joy, no shout until you say, I went through some fire. Let me just tell you, whoever you are, you are, you're not the first person that had cancer. Other people's had different types of cancer, and they've been through it. And they, 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 didn't, they didn't develop anger towards God, but they started to lean on the Lord. And they, they said, oh, okay, I'm going to start praying more, and I'm going to seek God. And it's a dark, dark tunnel, and, and then the water's cold, and you're walking through it. And there's a couple of you in here right now that you're dealing with some major issues. Let me just tell you, there's also witnesses in this room. They didn't walk away from God. They said, oh, I, I got to praise God for him, for his love and his mercy. And I'm just going to tell you, don't, don't fret over that God is going to get the glory and God is going to help you through it and on the other side you're going to shout like you never shouted before in the middle of it you're going to pray like you've never prayed before I want to be real transparent with you right now some people would never come to church if they did not have trouble the trouble is the mechanism to draw you Some folks would never pray or seek God unless they had a fiery trial. And the Lord knows that about us. And the devil knows that. He wants to discourage you. And there's a tempter and that that adversary is provoking you. But I stand to say today... You're going to come through it and it's something that's going to be produced in your life. And you just, if you can trust this word, say thank you, Lord, for the, for the night and the valley and the darkness and the issue and the sickness and the pain because I know you're working a good work in me. I am not going to think it's strange. I got a fiery trial that's weighing on me, but I'm going to rejoice that I get to be a partaker with the body of Jesus Christ and with the image of the Lord. And when I come through it, I'm going to rise up. There's going to be a joy. There's going to be a pool. There's going to be a miracle. There's going to be wonders. I know it, Lord. I'm not going to wait till then. I'm not going to feel bad about myself. When my good friend who passed away lost something very dear to him, he went to the church late at night and was at the altar and wrote the song just to walk with him. means everything to me. That song came from trouble and loss. That song was born out of a heart, a broken heart. No songs like that are ever born. Even in the world, when people are writing music, the best lyrics come from people who have experienced pain. And when Eric Clapton was away and the housekeeper was there on a high-level condo, And he wasn't there, but the housekeeper was taking care of his son. And she accidentally left the window open. And Eric's little boy stumbled and fell out and died. And Eric Clapton got his guitar. In a weeping moment, he he wrote a song called Tears in Heaven, which many people have sung, but they didn't know where it came from. 
became a powerful song. Why is it? Because those kind of things are born out of suffering and pain and heartache and loss. And if you want power in the spirit, you can't just snap your finger and you can't read about it in the book and you can't hear about it on a, on, on a podcast, but you got to walk through it. And if you walk through it, you're going to have power with the Lord and authority in the spirit. Sometimes God just sends you a little trouble to buffet you. Even Saul said, I, I had some persecutions to buffet me, lest the revelations that I have would lift me up. But if you complain, always wondering where God is and wondering where people have forsaken you, then what should have saved you will ultimately cause you to doubt what's meant to save you will break you unless you recognize just a couple things I want you to recognize today that God is a God of eternity he's not just here to make you happy I know you want a healing I'm a heal I'm gonna pray for a healing for you but really before I get to the healing I'm praying that God would save your soul That's what Jesus did. They brought him a lame man. And when he saw their faith, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that wasn't even why they brought him. Even the religious people stood around and said, Well, who can forgive sins but God? And then Jesus said, Just so you know I have power to forgive sins, I'll heal him. But healing was not the first thing that came out of the mouth of the Lord. It was salvation. I know you want me to pray for your healing, but I really like to start with praying for your salvation. Because you can die with sickness and go to heaven, or you can die whole and go to hell. Because God deals in eternity and not temporal. And so when he puts you through the fire and the tunnel and the darkness and the valley, let me just tell you, because he's trying to save something more than your body. He's trying to save your soul. And your soul will never die. And you got to be saved. And number two, you need to know that there are seasons in your life. And those seasons rarely last four months. They are minimal or they are lengthy. But they do not follow the weather. They come and yes, they will go. There are times... Of weeping, dancing, war, joy, peace. There's a time to cry. There's a time to rejoice. The problem is that we either despise the season or we ignore it and don't take advantage of it. So if you're in a season of joy, don't waste it. Shout and dance and worship God and thank God that you have the strength. And if you have the season, if you're in a season to give more than than really you've ever been able to give, then give during that season. And if you're in a time of want, you thank God that he is allowing you to go through the season. Now, mothers in this church, sometimes fathers, you go through a season of weariness because you have babies and children. And you're in the church and you're out of the church and you're in the nursery and sometimes you wonder why you come at all. I know. I don't know it personally, but that's what my wife told me when we had all those kids. 
I get ready for church. I spend half the time in the nursery. Let me, that's just a season you get to church. You come, you don't get out of the habit. Sometimes you're ill and you're sick. You don't feel real strength. You don't, as long as you're not contagious, you just climb out and you get to the house of God. If you can't stand, you sit there and love the Lord. If your arms don't work right, just call on God. If your voice is, is strained, just nod your head, but do something. You're in a season. That season's not going to last forever. It might be a year or five months or two years or ten years, but it's in a season. But just know, seasons come and they go. But God is still the same. And I don't know what you came here to do, and I don't know how you came. But I do know this. He's worthy to be praised. And what you're keeping today is keeping you. And you had to go through it. And you have to go through some trouble. Some of the greatest preachers and teachers I've ever heard were people who came from dysfunctional homes where their fathers and mothers abandoned them. Some of the greatest ministries I've ever seen are people who've gone through abuse in their life. That's right. And they didn't get there just because they went to some Bible school. They went to another school. So just hear me now. You're going to make it. It's going to be all right. What shall be will be. But you're going to make it. You feel that seat with your hand? You feel that, that pew? Maybe if you get here early enough, you can, you can sit there next week. Please don't write your name on it. And those of you who are chewing gum, please do not chew gum. I'm watching you chew gum. You look like a cow. We've asked for you not to chew gum, but you chew gum anyway. Cows chew their cud. Unless unless that's some leftover mashed potatoes, I'd prefer. You come up here and watch, watch you do that. I prayed that God would anoint me while you're chewing. I didn't pray that you'd choke on it, but. I just came from Israel where, where there's so much respect and honor. In American society, we dumbed down everything. Church is just completely foolish, no reverence. Uh, wait, wait a second, wait a second. We got a, we got a whole bunch of churches and all the Pentecostal churches and a bunch of charismatic churches and a United Pentecostal Church and Assembly of God and Kojic and Church of God and Christ and PAW and all the rest of them and we got the Holy Ghost. Thank God we got the Holy Ghost. But we also got a lot of, got a lot of bewilderment. Because if it's not all good, then it's bad. God's not blessing and we're not able to speak in tongues. And we're crying and moaning and pitying ourselves. And the Lord just going to tell you today, you're going to have to go through some things. It's going to know I'm still God even in the middle of your dark night. And you can't always see me, but I can see you. And Job said, I looked for him on my right, my left, and front and back. I couldn't find him. But I know, Job said, I know he knows where I'm at. It's only 11.31. I don't go to bed until 2 o'clock. <laughs> Listen. 
let's just have a little family meeting here. And if this is not your normal church, welcome to the family. Please sign up for work day. Let's just have a little family meeting here. God hasn't forsaken you. He didn't abandon you. He knew your trouble because every one of your days has already passed through him before they got to you. He's better than the best. In fact, he's better than the most gracious giving father and more long-suffering than the most gracious giving mother. That's your God. And I have to guard myself lest I have pity for your pain. Because that's the misnomer the church body gets into. We think of temporal thoughts. But we need to go back to the scripture. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. We don't feel blessed. People say all kinds of evil things against you for my sake. But rejoice. This is Jesus. Be exceeding glad. Here's the eternal statement. For great is your reward in heaven. So if you're living this life for God, just so you can get the best out of the church, you're living for the wrong reason. My reward is not down here. Now I have a reward. It's the body of Jesus Christ. It's the family. You are my family. And we got all kinds of members of the family. Got a lot of different members of the family. You know what, what role you play. I'd like you to think about who you are in the family. Are you the loving sons and daughters? Are you the loving brothers? Are you the angry one? Are you the discontented one? Are you the giving one? Everybody has somebody. Are you the serving one? Do you sit down and let everyone bring you the dinner? Who are you in the family? You can change your role. But you're still in the family. This is our reward. We have this family. It's a beautiful thing. We got a couple people that live on the edge. Some are deep, but we love everybody. This is the family of God. This is the family of New Life Fellowship. Amen. I got this reward here, but really this is not my reward. Because one day we're going to get to glory. Great is my reward in heaven. As good as I, as thankful as I am for what's happening now, I got a home beyond this home. I got to think in eternal thoughts. Lest I go through a trial and a storm and it wounds me and it hurts me and I am offended and it drives me away. No. I got to know that every time I go through that, the Lord has leading me to another place. I had to go through it. You have to go through it. You're better when you go through it. You're powerful when you go through it. If you don't have the problem, you don't have the prayer. If you don't have the issue, you never have the request. There's no petition. And so sometimes I want you to get out of that entanglement, but, I, but I'm thinking a little different thought. Because it might be the entanglement that's keeping you bound to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the church.
Because if you ever break free from that, you'll stop praying, give me this day my daily bread. (laughs) So I think what I'll do is I'll pray today that you'll be saved. Don't worry, we're going to pray for healing and miracles and sickness and deliverance. And that's going to happen. But I'm going to pray today that you'll be saved. That you won't be lost. That your reward will be great in heaven. And I'm preaching a counterculture sermon today. You had to go through it. I didn't want to go through it. I didn't want to experience that. But God sent me through trouble so that I could stand here today. And sometimes he'll send you through a thunderstorm so you can gain the strength to go through the tornado. I want to stay right here just a little bit because I got to drive this into your spirit. And there is a working of the, of the, of the enemy and the adversary that will reject this And current ideas are rejecting this. But I will say today again, hear the word of the Lord. You are going to be okay. God is going to bless you. You may go through many years, a season of suffering. But on the other side, there is going to be a miracle. And if your miracle does not take place until the trumpet sounds, that is the greatest miracle that will ever happen in your life. And if you go through 10 or 20 years, here, here, pastor. If you go through 10 or 20 years of trouble, but the rapture it comes and the trumpet of God sounds, you'll be caught away in a twinkling of an eye. There'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness, no more bills, no more trouble, no more family issues, no more strife, no more work, no more government, no more wars because the Lord is coming back for you. You are in the bride. Stay in the bride. You are going to make it. God's going to bring you through. He's sending you through an entanglement just to keep you. I got a couple things to say to all the young people who have ears and are wise enough to hear it. You are going to go through some trouble, but just stay true to the word of God and don't give up on the Lord and don't give up on the church and don't give up on the doctrine. I got some word for some of you. You wanted someone to live this life with you, but you didn't find anybody. But God can send someone here to live this life with you and you don't even know them yet. Come on, somebody raise their hand that you know it happened to you. One, two, three, four. Thank you. You don't even know. You don't even know who your wife is because she hasn't come to church yet. She's on her way. You have not met your husband because he didn't join the choir yet because he hasn't come to the parking lot yet. But while you're moaning and complaining and crying about being lonely and nobody loves me and I don't want to be an old maid. What are you talking about? God knows everything about you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He died for you. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. You may go through trouble, but just keep the faith and know it. I got to go through it because on the other side of it.
Let me just speak to all the people who have some financial issues and financial trouble and you're under duress. You just keep giving what belongs to God and return it to him and see what God will do. Because David said, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. You may not live in a mansion, but you'll never go without. You may never drive a brand new car, but God's going to keep you coming. He's going to keep you going. He will sustain you. You may go through all the duress and trouble, but you're going to go through it because God's going to lead you through it. I say right now, don't give up. You had to go through it. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about the greatest worship service we're ever going to have. It's going to be the day when you get out of the tunnel and you end up at the pool and there's miracles everywhere. You're going to shout like you've never shouted before. You're going to praise like you've never praised before. And you're going to testify. I was in the middle of a trial. I was in the middle of a storm. But the Lord brought me through it. And God let me out. Help me. Come on, stand to your feet right now. And out of your mouth, just praise him. Praise him for the fiery trial. Here's how you're made. Are you ready? Here's how you're made. Job had it all. But something happened. A storm came and all of his sheep died and all the servants died except one servant. He ran back home, told Job. It was a great storm. All the sheep were killed and all the servants were killed. I'm the only one left. Just about time he got done and Another man ran up and said, oh, Job, master, I was with the cattle. Something happened. All the cattle died and all the, all the cattle servants and men, they, they died. I'm the only one left. He didn't get done. And a man came running and said, oh, Job, all of your crops and your fields and your wheat had all burned away and it's gone. And all the servants that were tending that, they all died except me. I'm the only one left. He got done and a servant came crying and said, Oh, Job, I was, I was serving your children, your daughters, your sons, and they were having a banquet. And the house collapsed. It fell in. And all the servants and all your sons and daughters died. I'm the only one left. The pounding, the pounding of that nail. It didn't dissuade Job, but the pounding of the nail only drove it deeper into the wood. You think you're going to dislodge me. But every time I face my trouble, it just gives me a greater resolve. I'm not going anywhere. And no, I will not curse God and I will not die. In the middle of my suffering, I will not die. I will not die. I will not die. I will not give up. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I came in this world with nothing. I may lose... I may leave the same, but I will always praise him. But his praise, but praise be to God. 
I've got trouble, but that trouble only makes me more sturdy and more strong. No devil, you can't drive me out. No enemy, you are my adversary, but I'm going nowhere. I'm going to pray. I'm going to shout. I'm going to give. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not, I had to go through it.